So thank you. Um, so anyway, I am too often a critic and a skeptic um, and a cynic. And so my prayer today for you, uh, if you're that way too, that we would be encouraged that we would be strengthened and challenged in this promise of God. So our jumping off point today is going to come and kind of like set the stage for us. It's going to come from Isaiah 41.10. If you want to go to Isaiah 41, you can, or it's going to be on the screen behind me. This is going to kind of frame what we're going to talk about today. So Isaiah 41.10 says this. This is God speaking. Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, teach us. Teach us. Let this word fall on soft hearts. Help us to know you and love you more. Amen. All right, so to begin, uh, like I said, I want to review some places in Scripture where we see this promise lived out, where we see the promise of God helping is on display. We're going to see some people that are in dismal, fearful situations where God was their help, and there's a ton, okay? Spoiler alert, this, the Bible is all about God helping people and all about God's faithfulness. So I picked a couple. Um, uh, you may have heard of Noah, Noah in the big boat, okay? Genesis 6 to 19, we read of Noah. God helped Noah because God was asking Noah to do something that he had no concept of. There weren't any boats. It didn't rain, okay? God helped Noah build this ark and saved him and his family and, um, it, and all of the animals to kind of start over again. Read the story. It's an amazing story. So God helped Noah. How about Abraham in Genesis 12 to 25? The story of Abraham, we see a man who was established, who had land, who had wealth, and God said, go to a place that I will show you. Certainly needed God's help, right? Go to a place where I will show you. And he made Abraham into the father of the nations. Joseph, Genesis 30 through 50. Joseph is, is a man who is, um, uh, is loved most by his father. He had the Technicolor Dreamcoat, remember? Um, and his brother, uh, brothers threw him in a pit, sold him off to slavery. All through this time, God was helping Joseph. God helped Joseph interpret Pharaoh's dreams in prison. He got out, told Pharaoh about the famine that was coming. Pharaoh um, put Joseph second in command in all of Egypt. And God helped Joseph do that, and in turn, Joseph helped uh, hundreds of thousands of people not starve during the famine because of how God helped and worked through Joseph. How about Moses? The second book of the Bible, Exodus, is all about Moses' life and all about this account of this man who was called by God and didn't want to do what God was asking him to do. He was scared. He was weak. And after telling finally, well, God, I can't do it because I can't even speak well, God said, that's okay, I'll help you with that too. So these are, these are amazing people who were normal people like you and I, but they were amazing because God helped them and God worked through him in these, uh, all of them. Okay, so we've gone only through the first two books of the Bible and we already have tons of examples of how God is 
a help. The whole book, like I said, this whole book from cover to cover is proof that God helps his people. The most often repeated command in the Bible is, do not fear. God doesn't say do not fear and then leaves us hanging. He says do not fear because we are to find our help in him. And in all these stories, these people received supernatural strength and wisdom and resolve from the very hand of God. God's righteousness and his holiness and his strength is ever-present in times of trouble, to quote the psalmist from Psalm 46. Now, if you've at least read some of the Bible, you'll catch on that the meta-narrative of Scripture is pointing us to God's ultimate plan of help, and that is who? That's okay. We can, res- we can go back and forth. Yes, thank you. Jesus. Great, Zach. Points. <laughs> um, when in doubt, say Jesus. That's usually the answer, okay? So, God knew that we needed help, not just from our flesh, not just from our sickness and our trouble, but he knew ultimately that we needed help from sin and death. This world is broken, and it was his mission from the beginning to build a rescue mission, and Jesus is our help in all of that, our trouble and sin. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to look at the life of Jesus for a couple minutes, and we're going to look at how God helped Jesus It's kind of a strange thing to say because Jesus is God. I'll get into it. We're going to look at how Jesus found help in his Father. And then second, we're going to look at how Jesus is ultimately our ultimate help from sin and death. Okay, so so first of all, consider God needing no help. The one by definition is our help comes to us as Jesus in human form. This is the mystery and the beauty of the incarnation. Okay? In human form, Jesus needs no help per se because he's God. However, he humbles himself and puts himself in flesh and receives from his Father. Receives from the Father's Spirit. Receives from his comfort. Receives from his care. He laid down his heavenly glory to display the beauty of his Father ministering to him and working through him. He submitted to God the Father. Philippians 2 says this. should be on the screen up there, I think. Um, Philippians 2 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. And the Gospel of John says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So Jesus was reliant on the Spirit of God dwelling in him perfectly, but also on the Word of God, right? We see often in his ministry that Jesus would go, to, go away to a desolate place to be intimate with the Father, to receive from him. And he was always quoting Scripture, 
right? All of the temptations that the devil threw at him when he was in the desert being tempted for 40 days was combating that with Scripture. And then after being tempted in the desert, he was attended and ministered to by the Holy Host. One of the most intimate expressions of Jesus seeking help from the Father is in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, before his crucifixion. He says, um, um, from the Gospel of John, it says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I, but as you will. So we really see this beautiful picture through the life of Jesus. We, we see God as helper on display through the life of Jesus. But also, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, and those of you who, who, who know Jesus and are walking with Jesus know that he is ultimately our best help, right? By the power of the Spirit of God working through the human body of Jesus, he comes to be our Savior and our helper and our Messiah, and he lived a life as a help and a service to others, right? But ultimately, he came to save us from our sin and give us forgiveness. Jesus helped so many people who were physically hopeless, the, the, the blind, the lame, the demon-possessed, even the, even the deceased. He changed their bodies, but he also forgave their sin and changed their hearts. So, the life of Jesus is a beautiful picture of the promise of God in that Jesus was helped by the Father, but also Jesus, ultimately, is our helper. Now, let me say before uh, we move on and get to kind of the meat of what we're talking about today, um, it's very clear and obvious to many of us that as we look at Scripture, we can say, oh yeah, God's a helper. I can see him doing this and this and all these people's lives. Um, We can read the story of Moses and and Abraham and and Noah, and we can say, oh yeah, from A to Z, from 30,000 foot uh, perspective, we can totally see the twists and turns of their life, and we can totally see God um, holding them and bringing them and, and, and coming along with them. So let me acknowledge that it's a little easier to see others being helped by God It's a lot harder sometimes to see how God is helping us. It's a lot harder to understand in our pain, in our suffering, in our momentary troubles, that God is helping us too. Often the hardest chapter to believe in any story is our own, isn't it? But I want us, like I said, to be encouraged and to gain strength an insight from the many ways that the testimony of how God has displayed his help in the lives of so many. So whatever you're going through this morning, be encouraged. Even in your lack of faith, even in your doubt, we have hope because we have a helper. Now because we are finite beings, we're not always going to understand the why, All of us, all of us will go into eternity with questions. But let us cling to the truth of the scripture that speaks of this promise of God as our helper. We know that help comes in many forms. 
Okay, my prayer for you today is that you would find help in the Almighty God, even through your current circumstances. So we have help today, here and today, and this is the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about two things um, in relation to the Holy Spirit, and that sounds silly because the Holy Spirit is an uh, infinite being, and so you get two, but we only have time for two. So we're going to look at what it looks like to receive the Holy Spirit, what that means and understands. I think some of us have a biblical good understanding of what that means, but I want to reiterate those things because we can always learn and deepen our understanding. And then second, I want to look at the implications. If we are Spirit-filled, saved people, embodying the power of God Almighty within us, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. So we're going to talk about the implications of that. So turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 14, if you want, you can all you look at the screen, but I grew up doing sword drills. Anybody else grow up doing sword drills? Okay, Kristen, yeah? Okay. I was really good at sword drills. Okay, um, so let's take a look at um, this beautiful, intimate picture, chapter 14, verse 25. Jesus is talking to his disciples about his death. And, and what needs to happen and take place, and then talking about how he will go back to the Father and leave these men that he'd been journeying with so closely for three years. All right, so uh, chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jump over to chapter 16, 4 through 8. Jesus goes, goes on saying, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Wow. I love that passage. One of my favorite passages in all Scripture. The Holy Spirit of God is freely given to us by Jesus himself as our constant abiding helper. I've always, like I said, I've I've always been amazed when Jesus says, it is better that I go so I can send my spirit. Think about it. Jesus ushers in and establishes his kingdom in his life and death and resurrection by defeating death And then releases his spirit on his believers to empower them to be on mission for the kingdom. To be on mission for Jesus. And again, this is not a spirit or a bunch of spirits. This is the spirit. The spirit of the living God. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, The spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. Lives in you. 
It is God's Spirit that is given to us as a helper. The Greek word that's used for helper here in the Gospel of John, and referring to the Holy Spirit, is called um, parakletos. I think I did that right. The, the Greek word is a literal translation from the Latin word advocatos, which we get our word advocate. We all know what kind of, we understand what an advocate is. Both words literally mean the one who stands next to you. What a promise! Our living God stands next to you and I. He dwells with us. He is our advocate. An advocate pleads your case. An advocate helps you. An advocate trains you and teaches you and helps you, right? So how is it that we receive the Holy Spirit? Now, this might be 101 to some of you, okay? But that's okay. It's, it's, it's all right to rehearse simple truths in our head, isn't it? So for starters, okay, when, when we accept God's gift of mercy and grace to forgive our sins and give our lives to Jesus, we are given the Spirit of God to dwell in us and help us live this new life that we've surrendered to Him. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. So being the helper, the Spirit dwells in us, and He reminds us of our salvation. He reminds us of our coming eternity with God. The Spirit helps us know and understand that we are made for eternity with God, not just this life. And a very common misconception, I want to be careful here, okay, but a very common misconception or maybe misguided thought is that the Holy Spirit's only job, that the Holy Spirit's only job is to save us. And it's kind of like a flip of a switch, it's a magic trick, it's transactional, that we pray the sinner's prayer, we're going to heaven, we sign to the dotted line, the Spirit comes in and saves us, and then that's, that's it. Now, God wants to save us, yes, okay? God wants us to live in his fullness and presence, though. He doesn't just sign a contract with us. He gives himself to us as an abiding presence, this would be like if you got married and you went to the marriage ceremony and you did the thing and the, 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 the priest said the thing and you, you kissed and then you signed the paperwork and then you lived in two separate houses. Often this is how we treat the Spirit. Often we do like, oh, well, what do we, what do we need to do to get to heaven? And we do it and then it's like, okay, God desires a relationship with you and set it up that way. God wants to commune with us. God wants to have relationship and intimacy with us. And the Spirit is the conduit through which the Almighty God has a relationship with you and I. Being finite people existing in a sin-filled world, we need this constant abiding Spirit, yes? We need help in this journey. Jesus calls the, calls the Spirit both the Spirit of peace and the spirit of truth. The spirit both comforts us with his presence 
and helps us know and recall the truths about him, but he also searches our hearts to convict us of sin. And the Spirit also gives us then power to pray, to intercede for others. He gives us power to administer healing and deliverance. So being very practical here, if we want to experience the abiding help and presence of the Spirit, we must make room for Him in our hearts. Just like we do, right, when, when we ask for forgiveness, we repent of our sin, we turn from our sinful ways, we make room for the Spirit to enter. We say, yes, God, I need you. But just like the marriage analogy, this is a lifelong journey. The Holy Spirit is, is, is a person, isn't just some wisp of a shadow. This is somebody that we grow in relationship with. So as we begin this journey, we call this sanctification. This is the long, steady journey of becoming more like Jesus each and every day as we forsake our former lives and we start to move and look and act more like Jesus. Some of you know Dr. Rob Reamer, who is a pastor, author, teacher, and speaker. He talks about our souls like a suitcase. We just packed our family up to go to Florida for a week, and the suitcases are packed. There's nothing else that can go in my suitcase. But when we ask God, so we have packed lives, and we ask God to forgive us of our sins, we unpack some of that stuff so we can let God in, okay? But the journey of life is cleaning ourselves from those sinful, dirty laundry in our soul so that we can make more and more and more room for God. And many of you know how hard this is, truly. Any, anyone here, let me show of hands, anyone here find it hard some days to live for Jesus? Anybody? Come on. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. And we have other problems. We'll talk about that after the sermon. Um, everyone has trouble living for Jesus some days. But guess what? You have help. And it's not a formula. It's not a self-help formula. It's not a, it's not a self-help book. This is a relationship. It takes time and it takes effort. If you want to experience more of the abiding presence of the Spirit, Sometimes that means decluttering. Sometimes that means repentance. But I think, all, I, think, I think all the time it means that we have to slow down and we have to be quiet. We have to sit in silence. Oh, how distracted we are. And I'm preaching that to myself. Sometimes we need to fast give up something that gives us bodily nourishment so that we can make more room for God. We need to always pray. And again, we're not conjuring up some supernatural experience and emotion and fanaticism. No, we're making room for a relationship that God put inside of us to love us and to carry us on. Can I challenge you all with something? Yes, no? <laughs> okay, Ben, I'll challenge you, Ben, and everybody else that wants to listen, okay? 
what if, what if you began your day, what if you began your day with five minutes of silence to listen to the Holy Spirit? Five minutes. Like, literally set your timer on my phone. I, I have to do that because five minutes seems like an eternity, and it goes by so quickly. It's kind of both and, right? Five minutes. You can do it. Ask the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he's there. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to be with you. Thank him for loving you and filling you and dwelling with you. Maybe he'll speak and maybe he won't. But thank him anyway. And then afterward, I know uh, uh, Daniel has done this. I'm starting to do this. Have, like a little, have a little journal. If you hear something from the Lord, jot it down. If you don't hear something from the Lord, say, I didn't get anything today, but I still love you. And track how the Holy Spirit is speaking and dwelling with you, and then open your script, if you're doing devotions or whatever, but start with listening to the Holy Spirit. And then as we read the Word of God, because we know that's a primary way in which God speaks to His people through His Holy Word, Ask him to speak to you and be with you as you read the word. This is called Lectio Coram Deo. This is something we teach here at Terra Nova Church, where it's literally reading in the presence of God. Where we look at who God is. We, we read it through a lens of looking at who God is, and then we read it again looking at a lens of who we are as followers of God, and then we read it looking at a lens of, okay, wh- what, do we need to, what do we need to go and do now with this good news? So silence and Lectio Coram Deo, reading in the face of God. You can actually read a really great breakdown of understanding how to work, uh, how to work that reading routine into your life uh, on our website. Um, you can find a couple links on, on that and actually some sermons that we've preached over the years. So, let's recap real quick. We, um, we need God's presence, and this always requires that we repent and turn from our sins so that we can have less of ourselves and our dirty laundry, and we can have more of God. We need to seek Him through silence and solitude and prayer and fasting and reading. And from His presence, we will gain fullness, and we will gain comfort and truth and guidance, and forgiveness, and power, and conviction, and freedom, a fountain of good things. And the indwelling of the Spirit produces fruit. Many of you know this passage in Galatians 22. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Here we go. Love, joy, that's amazing, that's great, good job. These are qualities of the kingdom of God. Aren't these good things? Can we objectively say that these are better things than the world has to offer? Yes? And they don't go away because God is real and God is infinite and God is perfect. And if they come from him, then they will not cease. The things of this world will cease. The things that we get from this world for help will cease, but Jesus and his power and his spirit in us will not. So this brings us now to our kind of final uh, uh, Final section here, um, this will not be super long, don't worry, Um, but bring us to the implications of being spirit-filled people. What are the implications here? If we are filled with the Spirit, we will be on mission for the kingdom of God. 
We will be on mission to humbly serve and to heal and to encourage and to teach and to care for, just like Jesus did because we have his spirit. And this is all done out of a desire to see more of God in our world. Don't we want to see more of God in our world? Can I get an amen to that? If we are equipped by the Holy Spirit and equipped by the living God in us, you and I will have the power to do this work. And we are called to it. So one of the biggest implications of us being spirit-filled is that then we are equipped to be on mission for the kingdom. The other very important implication that I want to explain to us as we are gathered today as the church is that being filled by the Spirit is not just for us singularly, but horizontally. Jesus gives his Spirit to all of those that believe, and it spreads out horizontally all throughout the world. So now, collectively, as the church, as followers of Jesus, we have his spirit, and so collectively we now become the hands and feet and the presence of Jesus in this world. The spirit binds us together in this beautiful way. He equips us to serve one another as we serve him. Do you see how the help of Jesus with his life in us makes us equipped to help others? And with his life in us, he is helping through us. Everybody benefits. So do you see now why in in, um, John 16, why Jesus says, it is better that I go? Incredible words. Ponder, like, ponder that this week. Ponder the amazing heaviness of that statement. In his human form, Jesus was one person. Yes, he was God. He was one person, and he ushered in the kingdom, and he defeated death, and he saved us from our sins, and he returned to the Father and gave his spirit. We are called to embody his very presence. Has anyone ever had a better adventure pitched to them? Seriously. Come on. This life we've called to, we've been called to, together, alongside one another, with the Spirit in us, causes the Apostle Paul to write in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is our help, we can do all that he asks for us to do for our good and for his glory. The band's going to come back up and we're going to um, have a time of communion. So let me encourage you all as I say these same things to myself. I have not arrived at this. It's very much this whole sanctification journey is for all of us. Let us have a desire for more of God. Let us have less of a desire for the things of this earth. 
Let us open up scripture and see how God helps us, how God heals us, how God dwells with us, how God desires personal relationship with us. Let's desire more of that as a church. What if everybody in this church every day started taking five minutes to hear what God had to say and then went and told people, God told me this. I want to encourage you with this. Do you need to be healed? Do you need to be delivered from something? How can I help you? God spoke to me, and I want to pass it on to you. Maybe it's just between you and him. Maybe it just, uh, maybe it just builds up your love and your affection for Jesus. That's a win. Let us be a church that exemplifies and shines and spreads the light of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Let's do that. That's an adventure. Let's get behind it. So we're going to do a time of communion. And the reason that we do this is because we want to acknowledge that the reason we're on this adventure at all, the reason that we have the Holy Spirit at all, the reason that we have life and not death anymore, the reason that we have hope and we have an eternal security that we can, uh, that we can uh, be excited to be headed towards is because Jesus paid for us a price. You were all dead in your sin and your trespasses and Jesus came and he died and he sacrificed his perfect body for you and I so that we could restore our relationship with the Father, so that we could be made new, so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And his broken body and his blood poured out is the establishment of a new covenant where if we are to believe and accept Jesus and, and to bring him into our lives, we will be saved, we will be a new person, we will have a new identity. So as you take the bread and the cup this morning, remember that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And that it's because of Jesus' death that he imparts his spirit to you. And thank him. Love him. Maybe take some time of silence before you come up here to thank him and to love him and to be reminded of who he is and what he's done in your life. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are distracted, noisy, busy people. Our worship never ceases, yet sometimes it's pointed at the wrong things. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would remind us of your goodness and of your beauty and of your love, and that you would equip, uh, equip us by the power of your Spirit to do the things that Jesus did. We want to love you. We want to serve you. We want this world to look more like the kingdom every day. So would you do that in us? Would you encourage us? Would you remind us that your presence is good? Holy Spirit, abide in us. Show us more of yourself. Let us make room for you. Amen.